0: Hi, friends. Thank you for tuning in to the weekly City Church San Francisco podcast. City Church San Francisco aspires to be an inclusive community of Jesus followers seeking the good of the city. We are rooted in Christian faith that values curiosity and the ongoing guidance of the Spirit as we make room for everyone to belong. To that end, we welcome all persons into our community, regardless of gender, race, ethnicity, age, physical or mental capacity, education, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression, and socioeconomic or marital status. After taking stock of the Bible's wisdom in times of distress throughout the fall, we now start a new liturgical year with the Dream of Advent, a space and time set aside to remember that God is with us. This Advent, we invite you to join us in dreaming as an act of hope, an act of resistance, and an act of faith. As always, we thank you for being a part of City Church Online through this podcast, and we invite you to join us live each Sunday at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, or Twitch. You can support the ongoing work of City Church by joining in our Giving Tuesday campaign, launching on December 1st. Follow us online at CityChurchSF for all the info on our Giving Tuesday and end-of-the-year fundraising campaign.
1: The scripture reading today is from Isaiah and the Gospel according to Mark. A reading from Isaiah, chapter 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry out! And I say, What shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, Here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and carry them in his bosom, and gently lead the mother sheep. And now a reading from Mark, Chapter One The good news of Jesus Christ. The message begins here, following to the letter, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Watch closely. I'm sending my preacher ahead of you. He'll make the road smooth for you. Thunder in the desert. Prepare for God's arrival. Make the road smooth and straight. John the Baptizer appeared in the wild, preaching a baptism of life change that leads to forgiveness of sins. People thronged to him from Judea and Jerusalem, and as they confessed their sins, were baptized by him in the Jordan River into a changed life. John wore a camel hair habit tied at the waist with a leather belt. He ate locusts and wild field honey. As he preached, he said, The real action comes next. The star in this drama to whom I'm a mere stagehand will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. The Word of the Lord.
2: Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today needing you to lead us in how to pave the way, how to be dreamers when everything around us looks like wilderness. Lord, we pray that you would come and speak to us, that you would meet with us here across our screens in all the places where we're sitting today. Prepare the way in our hearts so we can prepare the way in the world. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Well, hi, church family, I am so grateful to be here today. I really miss you guys. And uh, I think as Fred probably said, we moved to New Jersey back in August and it has been a weird time to move and also a lonely time to move. And I still feel so connected to our City Church family and we miss you guys a lot. This week I saw the video posted for Giving Tuesday of Pastor Fred walking around in that empty Russian center and my heart just got all squeezed up. So, um, thinking about y'all and so grateful to be here with you this morning. So, we're talking about dreaming and we're talking about John the Baptist. Ten years ago, when our now seventh grader was two, he was tortured by a six foot tall walrus who lived in his closet. Now, we don't really know how this happened. We lived on Divisadero and Eddie about six blocks from the Russian center. And to this day, I've never seen walruses walking around Divisadero Street, but in 2010, y'all, that's what happened. A walrus showed up in August's closet and tortured him at night. It's very scary. Um, If you know know August and you wanna ask him about the walrus sometime, you should. We were just laughing about it last night. Uh, he remembers it super clearly and it was an awful walrus and one night before chris and i had fully like developed our smarts when it came to parenting children he woke up about 2 a.m. screaming about the walrus and when we ran to save him his door was locked and at some point during that day he turned the little lock on his door and when we closed that door that night boom it was stuck forever So while our two-year-old was crying, these big, fat, hot tears on the other side of the door, and while our neighbors in apartment 10 were probably furiously awakened once again by August crying, uh, we had to pull out all the tools, and Chris had to remove the door from the wall. It was very dramatic. So the next morning, I did what all good moms do. I marched into August's room with the only thing I could think to bring with me walrus spray and yes walrus spray is water in a spray bottle but if you ask august about that walrus spray he will tell you that it worked like a dream and i sprayed that closet and i promised my little boy that that walrus would not be coming back and amazingly he never has four houses later the walrus never creeped back in And even though lots of other terrifying things have, I feel like it was one of the great successes of my parenting career. So this Advent, we're talking about dreaming, and I think dreaming is such a fascinating thing. I think it's so interesting that we use the same word for this subconscious mind flush that we do while we sleep, and also this very conscious hope-gathering planning that we do when we're awake. I've been working on a children's book about dreams and God and what it could possibly mean to ask God for good dreams when you're a kid. You know, the walrus wasn't the only scary thing in August's life. August was just a kid who had bad dreams. And we had so many conversations when he was little, when the walrus spray was no longer believable, and when I really wanted to teach him faith in the midst of his fears, in the midst of Creeper McCreeperson, who was hiding under his bed, or the nightmares he didn't stop having, no matter how hard we prayed for good dreams. And oh, that question he would ask me of, why isn't God answering my prayers, mom? Oh man, like if only we knew, right? I feel like this children's book I've been trying to work on is a response to that. Like what if God's answer is to give you strength to be the hero of your scary dream, even if the scary dream still shows up, that, that you could be more clever than the shark, or you can overcome the floor that turned to lava. I feel like that's a little bit of what we are talking about when we talk about dreaming this advent. After a year like 2020, when when we have felt afraid and alone and all around us has seemed like chaos. This has been a year of bad dreams. It's a year of walruses in the closet. So what does it mean for us to allow Advent to usher in some walrus spray up in here? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about John the Baptist showing up in this particular bad dream, in his camel hair robe and his locust and honey breath and teaching us to pave the way for a new dream, to usher in the healing that we've all been waiting for. This morning we read Isaiah 40, which is a passage that I've loved for a long time. I love it anytime God wants to say comfort to God's people. Like I just need that and we all need it. I love that God is speaking tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaiming to her that her hard service, her bad dream has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. And then jumping into this voice of someone calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert, a highway for our God. That's the ultimate in a bad dream, turning into something beautiful. The glory of the Lord being revealed, and all the people seeing it together. This text in Isaiah 40 is about God bringing comfort to God's people. And how does God do it? By sending a messenger, a voice calling, prepare for God's arrival, make the road smooth and straight. And that voice, that messenger that God ends up sending, is John the Baptist. I love that we're talking about dreaming this this season because there's no more liminal figure in scripture than our man, John the Baptist. He is just as in between as you get. He's just dreamlike. And to quote Jan Richardson, she says, John the Baptist dwells in the wilderness, hangs out by a river, offers the ritual of baptism, which is an initiatory rite. Even in this pre-Christian context, and, develop, and devotes himself to preparing a way for the one who is to come. These actions and images by which the gospel writers describe John all speak to his status as one who inhabits liminal space, an in-between place, and whose purpose is not only to make a path for Christ, but also to help others cross into a deeper relationship with God. We see John the Baptist in this in-between space. John is showing up here between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament Messiah and those 500 years of silence in between. He's between this this Jewish ordination rite of mikvah, this purification in the water and this this. Uh, this right that allows for conversion in the in the Jewish religion and what would become the sacrament of baptism in Christianity. And and John the Baptist is hanging out not in the spaces of worship in the city but on the outskirts of society. He's in the wilderness. He's preaching not the fulfillment of God's work but the coming of something new that will change everything. John the Baptist's work is this dream stuff, he's in the in-between. And that's what makes him such a perfect figure for us as we learn to wait and dream during Advent. So what does it mean to allow John the Baptist today to teach us a few things about how to be faithful dreamers? How to live in that liminal space between the suffering of this moment and the work and the hope of waiting for the coming of Jesus. I think first of all, we learn from John the Baptist that faithful dreamers know how to hold the tension of the wilderness. Just like John, here we are in a moment of in between. We are in between the raging of this virus, which is worse right now than it's ever been in our country and the hope of the vaccine, which is right now being loaded into these super freezers and shipped across America to different places. It is coming, but we right now, it's the darkest moment. We're between President Trump and President-elect Biden. And we're in that moment that feels unsteady and uncertain. We're between our exhausted social distancing and the day when we're gonna have to relearn how to be together. We're in a moment when the world is talking about racial injustice, but still struggling to make next steps. We're aware of climate change, but also deeply reliant on our lifestyle of consumption and the use of fossil fossil fuels. And I think spiritually in our lives, we can feel this too. For those of us who have followed Christ for a long time, it can often seem like we're stuck in a holding pattern. What does it mean to allow the presence of Jesus to heal our broken relationships, to transform the ways that we work and serve and care for the people in our lives? What does it mean to allow our faith to call us the way that John the Baptist was called to make the road smooth and straight, to be people who prepare for the coming of Christ? This season of Advent is supposed to be a spiritual practice of imitating John, of making a way for Christ to come and turn our lives upside down. So what does it mean to hold tension in our ordinary daily lives? It starts by understanding that the wilderness is a both and sort of place. When we talk about the wilderness in church, we often think about the Hebrew people, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for God to bring them to the promised land. And in most traditional readings and interpretations of scripture, the wilderness has been depicted as a place that's not meant for human habitation. It's a place to conquer and it's a place to get out of, get away from as soon as possible. But, It turns out that those sorts of interpretations have come mostly from the lens of white patriarchal readings. And I was really interested to find um, theologian Dolores Williams' work, and she gives us a different version of the wilderness in her book, Sisters in the Wilderness. And this version is one that's rooted in the experiences of enslaved people and one that remains present in the tradition of many American black churches. Williams interprets the wilderness through the lens of Hagar, Abraham and Sarah's abused and impregnated servant who is left alone there to survive with her baby. Williams describes the wilderness as a place of struggle and spirit, both problematic and full of promise. The wilderness is the place where Hagar meets God And it is both sacred and struggle-ridden. And that's the kind of wilderness where John the Baptist was out preparing the way for Jesus. In a place that wasn't easy, a place that was full of struggle, but also a place where God shows up. And maybe that's why people were drawn to him. I mean, who otherwise wants to leave the safe city to go hear a crazy like locust eating camel hair wearing guy tell them to change their lives and participate in a Jewish cleansing rite that was mostly only expected of women and Gentiles and hang out in the dangerous wilderness. There's a reason people came and people came because God was there because it was both sacred and full of struggle. I think if we're honest, that's what 2020 has been for us. So much suffering all around us and in our own lives. But the struggle is also where God reveals God's self. It's the both and it's the tension in of the wilderness. And if we want to be a faithful dreamer, we have to start there in the sacred struggle. Number two, faithful dreamers know that they are not worthy and they let that truth transform them. Why is John out there inviting people to perform a ritual of baptism when up to that point, as I mentioned earlier, the mikvah, this pool of water was was intended only for women who needed purification after their menstrual cycles. It gave women permission to come back into society and it washed away what was seen as their uncleanliness. And the mikvah was there for Gentiles who wanted to convert. Y'all, this is a ritual that was intended for the least of society, not for the powerful, not for the men who ran things. The mikvah, the baptism was a kind of humiliation. And when John invited everybody into it, especially Jewish men, it was a recognition that everyone is equal before God. John was way ahead of his time, and that's the point. He's getting people ready for a Messiah who comes for everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, both men and women, both the enslaved and the free. And baptism is the equalizer. It's the same water and the same message John is giving everyone. Admit that you're a sinner and see the truth of your own need, and then you're ready for Jesus. Now, that is something that is easier said than done, because it's really hard to look at the sin in our own hearts when there's so much out there that looks like the real problem in the world. That's not John's message. His message was not figure out what's wrong in the world and change it. His message was repent of your sins and let yourself be forgiven. Just like you, many of you probably, one of my favorite teachers and writers is Father Richard Rohr. And he talks a lot about this prayer he prays every day, that God would give him one good humiliation a day. You guys, I have not been brave enough to pray for that. Uh, but every time a good humiliation shows up, I think of him. <laughs> so this happened the other day to me. So as I mentioned, we moved to New Jersey, and we moved into this house in September, that is 140 years old. And I kind of go back and forth between the honor of feel like feeling the honor of owning a place where so many people have lived and died over the past century and also feeling the burden of taking care of the place and there's just like wood that falls off of things and like you know holes in the in the floor and stuff um and and also you know i'm no gardener but i really like to garden i'm learning right and i've been trying to learn And I've been doing my best to like trim back the dead plants and prepare everything for the winter, something that I never needed to think about in San Francisco. Um, So last week I look at my inherited rose bushes and they grow on the side of the fence that I share with my next door neighbor. And she has lived in her house next to mine for 50 years. She raised her babies there. She's watched like each inhabitant of my house come and go. And so, uh, listen. I did what what all of you would do. I'm sure. I looked up how do you trim rose bushes for the winter, and I looked it on the internet. And so, I thought I was doing a pretty great job until my neighbor burst out of her house, visibly shaking. My sweet 80 year old neighbor, my rose bush trimming had made her shake. <laughs> she. She did her best to control her anger, um, but then she informed me that I had done some serious damage to a rose bush that is more than fifty years old. So we didn't fight. I don't want you to worry. I was very sweet to her, but I was sufficiently humbled, and I told her I was willing to learn from her. And after all, like the roses on my property have been the flowers she has like enjoyed and protected for the whole time she's lived here. So I have a lot to learn. But uh, you better believe that I felt like a little baby girl. I felt like a tiny uh, little girl who does not know anything. Um, That is called one good humiliation, my friends, when you make your sweet next door neighbor uh, shake because of your horrible gardening skills. But I think sin is like that sometimes. It's not always our intentional plan to hurt somebody else or to go against even the lead of God's spirit in our lives. In fact, I think most of the time sin isn't something that we think about. It's just sticky inside us. It's the part of us that reacts before we can think. It's the part of us that, despite our good intentions, just makes a decision we regret that hurts the people in our lives. And it's the part of us that is looking for quick comfort and finding it in addictive behaviors that tear our relationships apart. And sometimes what we need is one good humiliation to wake us up, no matter what our intentions were, to be get that good humiliation, to wake us up to the sin in our lives, to see it for how it's hurting the people around us, hurting us, keeping us from connection with God. And that's what John's baptism is meant to be. It's one good humiliation. It's one good wake up call. John made his own kind of confession in Luke three. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John is saying, I'm not worthy. And that's where faithful dreaming needs to begin with us, recognizing that we're not worthy on our own. It's Jesus who makes us worthy. We begin with the humiliation of baptism, and then we're able to go into the work of preparing the way, understanding who we are and how God is the one who makes transformation possible. And last, Faithful dreamers invite others to reject performance and pretense and clear out anything that stands in the way of the coming of Jesus. There's another womanist theologian who I love, Wilda Gaffney, who talks about the vision John the Baptist had of the world to come. She talks about its breaking and remaking, how Isaiah 40, talks about God's presence as a comforting embrace, but for John, it's an unquenchable fire burning away all that cannot stand in the presence of God, including what Gaffney says, our extortion and brutality. She says this, in Luke, John calls out those who had power over others and were abusing it. Some of them were Israelites, like the tax collectors, and some were Gentiles, like soldiers who could have been from anywhere in the Roman Empire. He called them out for extortion and brutality, and he called out those who had more than they could wear or eat while others were going without. For John, you simply could not sign up to follow him or Jesus later and exploit God's people. You can't receive God's abiding presence in baptism and continue being a crook or greedy or indifferent to the needs of people around you. So, what does that mean for us? It brings us back to the both and of the wilderness. Isaiah 40 talking about the comfort, and John the Baptist talking about the fire of God's abiding presence. And both are true the comfort and the fire. We are called to receive God's free and good presence in baptism and the forgiveness of our sins. And we're called forward out of exploitation, out of extortion, out of brutality, out of greed. Because preparing the way starts with one good humiliation, but it goes further than that. To make a path in the wilderness is hard, difficult labor. We have to pull up the weeds. We have to cut down the branches. We have to wear out the road with our own feet. I read a story while I was preparing for this about a house in Mass- in a Massachusetts town that was on the corner where several roads converged during the early 1800s. And the myth around this house was that when General Lafayette arrived on his big tour, he did in 1824. He arrived in the town, and his carriage didn't have space to turn the corner where this house is. And so, there's this myth that that as a result, the owners of the house just cut a corner out of their home. They just and if you see this this if you look this up, it's just a house that has like this weird corner cut out of its first floor. Um, and dang, they just cut it out, and they. Lafayette just turned that corner and went on with his tour. Uh, good for them. <laughs> that's commitment, you guys. Like That's the kind of preparing of the way that John the Baptist is asking of us. It's what the Reverend Dr. Janet H. Hunt says, is to just do what needs to be done, whatever that might mean, even if it means chopping away at what before seemed essential to all we are in order to make way for the new Even more important, the presence and power of life itself. Chopping away at the things that seemed important, at our extortion, at our greed. Man, those are things that are hard to look at. Because we have to look in ourselves first. And then we have to look in our culture and our society. And then we begin to pave the way. Let's be faithful dreamers. And to do that, let's start by recognizing that right here in this wilderness of 2020, it's exactly where we need to be to encounter the presence of God. God is in the wilderness. God is in the struggle because that's where the sacred is too. So we see ourselves as we really are. And we're transformed and then we invite god's fire to make a way in our world jesus is coming let every heart prepare him room in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen